I invite you now to take your uh, Bibles as we open the Scriptures and in connection with the Sermon on Lord's Day um, 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism, I have two Scripture readings. One is from the Old Testament, Psalm 23, and the next one is from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. So our first Scripture reading is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then we turn to uh, the letter to the Hebrews. And look at chapter 10. We start reading in verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19, we read through verse 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word. In the preaching this afternoon, uh, brothers and sisters, we will continue to uh, focus on the sacraments as means of God's grace to strengthen our faith. Now, as congregation, you have learned more about baptism than, uh, for the past Sundays. And this afternoon, we will have a closer look at what the Bible teaches about the Lord's Supper. And it's, it's, it's really nice coming together because we celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning. So, but you still remember, um, we will be uh, looking at, at, at closer um, through the lens of what we confess in Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So we look at Lord's Day 28, and that's what we will focus on in the preaching. Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It starts on page 542 of the Book of Praise. How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. With this command, he gave these promises. First, 
As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet... We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood, as surely as they eat of the broken bread and drink of the cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's 1 Corinthians 11. This promise is repeated by the Apostle Paul, where he says, The cup of blessing... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. That's 1 Corinthians 10. Thus far, this part of our confession. Immediately after the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing Psalm 103, stanza 2. Psalm 103, stanza 2. We will sing out a song of response. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we will um, talk again about the sacraments this afternoon. The sacraments, those, those rituals in the church that the Holy Spirit is working with in your life as a child of God. And we know that your faith is, is the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and to give you this faith, he uses, of course, first of all, the Bible. But then as his added tools, so to speak, the Spirit also uses the sacraments to, to strengthen your faith, to encourage you in your faith. Now it's good to realize that these means of grace, as we call them, do not work automatically. They do not work on their own. When you're, uh, when you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor. And the doctor makes a diagnosis, and he will probably prescribe you some medication. And then the pills that you get have to do the job. It's not the doctor who is the one who is going to make the pills work. The medication is going to make, on its own, make you feel better, hopefully. 
Now that's not how the sacraments work. The ingredients of the water of baptism and the bread and the wine that you ate and drank this morning, do, 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 these ingredients do not automatically strengthen your faith. No, no. The one who strengthens your faith is the Holy Spirit. He prescribes the means and he works through and with those means. In other words, when you listen to sermons and when you use the sacraments, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. The Holy Spirit is busy changing you and renewing your life. Now, of course, that only happens when and where these powerful instruments of the Spirit are being used. That makes sense. And that's in the church. Now, now, to be sure, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit has the power to work anywhere and, and anything at any time. That's true. But if you want to experience this work of the Holy Spirit, if you want to benefit from what he is doing with these tools, these power tools, you've got to be in church. Now, when we say that, we have to watch out for one thing, of course. As I said already, it won't work automatically. So, so don't come to church just as a habit. Or don't come to church as a formality, as a ritual. Don't think you're going to be all right because, just because you show up on the Sunday. No, no. Submit yourself actively to the power, the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Ask yourself, why am I here? What's the Holy Spirit doing here? What's the purpose? And that is not only when the preaching, but it's also when, when there is baptism and we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, again, as I mentioned, you have heard already about baptism in the previous Lord's Days. Uh, and now, this afternoon, we focus on the Holy Supper. Congregation, the Holy Spirit works faith in your life with the power tool of the Lord's Supper. I mentioned that. Now, as he is doing so, he appeals to your faith. That may sound a bit weird because it is meant to help your faith, is it not? So, so why is faith required? Well, it's true, it's meant to help your faith. But if you want to benefit from what the Spirit is doing through this instrument, you've got to believe it. Your faith is also a prerequisite, so to speak. So let's have a look and find out how this works. In answer 75, we confess that Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat and drink in remembrance of him. And the Culture of the Belgian Confession, Article 35, puts it in this way. Our Savior Jesus has instituted the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and sustain those who has, he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is his church. And the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper says something similar. Christ has ordained this food only for his believers, it says. And that's why we're always urged to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves when we believe the sure promise of God that all our sins are forgiven us for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Holy Supper will only be effective for believers. 
Now we say that, it makes it important to know who are those believers. You could say, of course, believers are people who have professed their faith in Jesus. That's, a, that's something beautiful in putting it this way. I mean, do you, do you remember the moment of your profession of faith? Do you remember the first time that you would celebrate Lord's Supper? That was a, that was a great moment, right? It's a great moment. However, you cannot answer the question, who is a believer, by pointing at the moment that someone said, I do, to a few questions. And it could be one year ago or 50 years ago, it doesn't make a difference. That was a significant moment, but it's not enough. Every Lord's Supper celebration confronts you and me again with the question, am I a true believer? And, and if, if, if referring back to my profession of faith, if I say, yes, I'm a true believer because 50 years ago I professed my faith. If that's not sufficient, how do I find the answer? And where do I find the answer to the question, am I a true believer? In myself? Can I measure my own faith when I go with what I feel about it or experience about it? A lot of Christians do that, actually. It's a bit tricky. If that's what you go by, what you feel or experience, you get on the one hand some people that jump to a quick and superficial conclusion. I feel okay with God, so I'm probably a true believer. Not a big deal. For others it's the opposite. They look at themselves and, and they find out that you can never know for 100% sure whether you are a true believer, yes or no. Because you look at yourself and some, somehow there is always lingering doubt about the assurance of your faith. So I don't think I'm a true believer. So what do we mean then? What do we mean when we say that Christ has ordained the meal for, for the believers? Now it's good to Back, go back to a few words in the beginning of answer 75 of the Catechism. It says that Christ has commanded us to eat and drink. Yeah? Emphasize that word commanded. From Jesus, Jesus himself, comes the command to the church. That is to all the communicant members of the whole congregation. Now, some of you may say, no, hang on, hang on, that's confusing because you just said it's only for the believers and that profession of faith does not make you automatically a believer for the rest of your life. How does that work? Well, here's the point. Christ commands. That's a starting point. It means he calls each one of you to come and celebrate as a believer. That's what he did this morning. Celebrate as a believer. Let's Let's unwrap this a little bit more. Uh, you may remember, perhaps not, who knows, from Lord's Day 21, that the Son of God gathers his church in the unity of the true faith. Yeah? The Son of God gathers his church in the unity of the true faith. In line with that, we confess in uh, Article 27 of the Belgian Confession that the church is a holy congregation 
an assembly of the true Christian believers. So, think of that. The church yeah, is a congregation of true Christian believers. In other words, we can identify the church as the community of the believers, the community of the people that follow Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, when you look at the church, you all know the church is not perfect. Right? You have hypocrites in the church. You have people that come to worship, but they just go through the motions with an unchanged and unbelieving heart. The people in the church that come to church, maybe not every Sunday, but on a regular basis, but they refuse to repent. But it should also be clear that those unbelievers do not have a legitimate place in the church of God. So if they do not have a legitimate place in the church of God, the fact that they are in the church does not mean that you cannot call the church a church of God community of true believers. And so we may, we may read here in Laws 28 the words, me and all believers as the whole congregation. Jesus Christ wants every communicant member to come and proclaim his death. But what if you doubt? What if you struggle with whatever issues there may be in your life? What if you don't feel so sure? Not at all, actually. What if you feel that your faith is weak? What if you deal with serious sins in your life? What about your ongoing battle with this addiction, whatever it is? And you stumble, and you fall, and you want to do better, but it doesn't work. Over and over again. What if your dirty thoughts make you feel unworthy to sit at God's table? Nobody knows, but you do. What kind of believer are you if deep down in your heart you don't really care? What are you going to do with that? Well, you could choose not to go to the Lord's Supper. You could. But you know, then all that stuff that clutters your faith life will stay the same. And so the Holy Spirit points you in another direction. Not only that you must celebrate the Holy Supper, but you can do it. You can do it. With all this clutter in your life. Why is that? Remember, it is Jesus who calls you. We say the consistory calls you. True enough. But it is, in the end, it is Jesus who calls you. And Jesus says to you, turn to me. Confess your sin and repent. Trust in the promises of God. Embrace my love in faith and then come to celebrate the Holy Supper with a humble heart and let my Holy Spirit strengthen your faith. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. You've done that this morning. It's not because we feel worthy of it, but because we acknowledge that Jesus himself has instructed us to do so as believers. And he can do so because he is the one who gives faith. And the Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens your faith as a gift of God's grace. Well, what about self-examination? Right? We mentioned it before, I mentioned it this morning. What about self-examination? If you hold on to your sinful life, and you refuse to fight against your sinful life, if you're not willing to forsake the world and crucify your old nature, should you come to the Lord's table? 
If you're a superficial Christian, if you're a superficial believer, like you attend worship services, you pay even a little bit for the church, but really you don't believe with all your heart, should you celebrate the Lord's Supper? Really? What will be left of the call to examine ourselves when we say you are a communicative church member and just you must go? Are we not promoting a careless way of celebrating? That's not the intention, of course, but it seems like you can take it pretty easy when it comes to your Christian life. You're in the church, you're a believer, because you're in the church and Christ calls you, and there you go. Because you go to the Lord's Supper. Why? Because you're expected to go. Indeed, if that's the case, there will be something really wrong here. Very wrong. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible warns us not to eat and drink judgment on ourselves. And that's really serious, actually. Think of what the form says about those who persist in their sin and sinful living. And yet, we have to stress that there is no one in the church who is not called to come and proclaim the Lord's death. Does that mean that you can ignore the need to examine yourself? Because as a church member, you're going to be okay anyway? No, that's not the case. Definitely not. On the contrary, Jesus commands to come as a true believer. Jesus commands you to come with a living faith. What does that mean? That means that your self-examination becomes really serious. It means you're in a tight corner when it comes to that. You cannot ignore the command of Christ. No one can. You cannot just stay away and avoid the need to examine yourself. Yeah? You may think so. You may think, okay, you know, my life is this and this and this is wrong. I'm not celebrating the Lord's Supper. What does that mean? It means that you don't see the need to clean up your life. I mean, yes, if you obstinately refuse to break with your sin, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should indeed not come and celebrate Holy Supper. But staying away from the Holy Supper is not the end of the story at that time. You need to repent. And if you don't do that, you don't even belong in the church of Jesus Christ. You will face God's judgment. For the church of Christ is the assembly of true Christian believers, remember? And what are those believers supposed to look like? Article 29 of the Belgian Confession sums it up. They believe in Jesus Christ as the only Savior. They flee from sin. There you go. They love God. They crucify their flesh. They fight against the weaknesses by the Spirit. They appeal to the sacrifice of Christ. Now that's what a true believer is all about. And guess what? Those are exactly the things you promised to do when you professed your faith. Now again, that profession of faith was one moment. Perhaps way back in the past for some of you. But it's an ongoing commitment. It's a commitment for your whole life. You will struggle with that. You will often fail. But with the help of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit continues to make you aware of this and He encourages you to keep that up. But no one can escape the confrontation. No one. This confrontation, what do you do with your life? Do you want to live in faith or not? 
Do you want to break with your sin or not? Do you want to flee to Jesus with your weak faith, with all your doubts and questions or not? The Holy Supper does not allow you to live haphazardly. Like you do believe, sort of, but you don't want to commit yourself entirely. You easily skip church, maybe on a regular basis, but yeah, when it's Lord's Supper, you're going to show up. That's not going to work. Through the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit wants to shake us up. Don't be a hypocrite, it says. You repent or you don't. You believe or you don't. Do you want to celebrate the Holy Supper? That's great. That's what Christ commands you to do. But you must repent. You must confess your sin. You believe with all your heart. Live as a living member of God's church. You know what? Your faith and my faith, it can be so weak. We can struggle deeply with many questions and many troublesome experiences. You want to repent, but time and again you stumble, you fall. Your sins are many. And Satan's attacks are strong because Satan will whisper in your ear and say, you're not worthy to go to the Lord's Supper. Who do you think you are? Satan attacks your faith. You fail, you fail again. Are you good enough to celebrate the Holy Supper? My brother, my sister, you must celebrate. Not because you're good enough. You will never be good enough. But that's exactly why you need the Holy Supper. At the same time, at the same time, if you persistently refuse to repent, yeah? if you persistently refuse to believe, if you don't struggle with your sin because you don't really care about God's love in Jesus, please quit pretending. As long as that does not change, you do indeed not belong at the Lord's Supper. And you don't belong at the church either. Are we chasing people out of the church when we say that? No, we don't. But it's got to be clear that the Holy Spirit requires your and my total dedication. Believe in Jesus Christ. Put all your trust in Him. So here is the central question. Do you want to belong to Jesus or not? All this, uh, all this makes it important, brothers and sisters, to remember that the Holy Spirit uses the power tool of the Lord's Supper to strengthen your faith. Well, uh, we know that, right? But we also know how it works sometimes. I doubt, I have questions, struggle with difficulties and trouble, have a hard time with what God is doing in my life. My sin keeps bothering me, and so I decide not to attend. People do this sometimes. I've talked over time in the ministry. You talk to people like that. So, man, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm such a hard time, I cannot go. But remember, the Holy Supper is not a reward for a strong faith. The Holy Supper is not a reward for good Christian behavior. It's a means to strengthen and encourage the weak and the powerless, the strugglers and the doubters. After all, the Lord's Supper confirms the promises of God in Jesus, suffering and death. In his sacrifice for 
helpless sinners. He nourishes and refreshes my soul to everlasting life. Just because our faith is so little, just because we are struggling sinners, God gave us the supper. So the question is not, did you make enough progress in your faith? Did you make enough progress in your Christian life? No, no. God says, you must celebrate the Holy Supper just because you are only a weak beginner. Just because you are not strong at all. Because you need my help to make any progress in your life. When you professed your faith, whether it was a year ago or 50 years ago, when you professed your faith, you were not saying, okay, now my faith is strong enough. Now I have all my Christian ducks in a row. Everything is under control. No, no. When you profess your faith, you say, Lord, I submit myself to you. And now the real struggle is actually starting. Lord, I believe, please help me in my unbelief. I need you every hour. I stretch out my feeble hands. I know that I can only carry on when you hold on to me and your fatherly love. Well, that brings you to the Lord's Supper table. That's where you need to be because you need Jesus. You need him badly. You need to be encouraged. You need to be lifted up. Your faith must be strengthened. You need to see again that one sacrifice of Jesus for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. As Jesus himself puts it in Luke 5, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. For them he prescribes the medication they need. And in his grace, God has mercy and compassion on the weak and the struggling. And with his word, he provides the sacraments. You know, if we would be strong enough in our faith, we wouldn't even need the sacraments. If we would be strong enough in our faith, the word of God would be sufficient to explain things to us. We wouldn't need the Lord's Supper. But we are not strong. But we, often, <laughs> we often pretend, right? We often pretend that we are. But we are not. We are so weak. Praise God for his love, for his mercy and compassion. Yeah, but is God not a strict judge then? Yes, God is. God is a strict judge. He is for those who turn away from him. He is for his enemies. That's why the author of the letter to the Hebrews can say that it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. At the same time, he is the father. He is deeply moved by the weaknesses and the difficulties of his children. He is the shepherd who in his compassion leads me beside quiet waters and restores my soul. Yes, we read and we sang Psalm 23. When you see, when you touch, when you taste the bread and drink from the cup, you may be sure again, God loves me. Jesus died for me. Recognize your God as your merciful Father. Call upon his name. Flee to his grace. Find safety and security in the shelter of his wings. People can be harsh judges. We like to judge each other, right? We can be quick in our judgment. 
we live close together in 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 in, in the congregation, and we are we are sometimes related. Uh, we, we we know a lot of each other in the church. Sometimes maybe too much. Do you ever see a brother or sister celebrate the Lord's Supper? A brother or sister coming up to pick up the wine and the bread? Do you ever see that happen with somebody and then you think he or she should not be there? Look at his or her life. What kind of faith is that? But God says, he or she is my child. And, and, and that child that you judge is so weak. It really needs the Lord's Supper. It needs it badly. And so your father is standing there with outstretched arms. And he invites all his weak and struggling and stumbling children. He invites you too. Say then, Father, I'm sorry that I messed up again. Please help me. I need your help. On my own, I will not be able to keep it up. On my own, Father, I will never be able to make it. Strengthen my faith, my Father. And then you hear your Father's voice. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Do you really think, my brother, my sister, that your God is a God who would let you get stuck in trouble and misery, doubts and uncertainties? Do you really think that your father is doing that? Then you don't know him. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Would then your heavenly father, who knows that you are longing for the strengthening of your faith, for encouragement and for hope, would he not give you the grace of the Holy Spirit when you ask him? Praise the love of your shepherd. You prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. But there's more happening at the Lord's Supper table. The Holy Spirit doesn't only strengthen your faith. He also established a communion of faith. I'd like to spend a few minutes on that as well. Uh, through this power tool of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit unites in Christ by faith all those who celebrate together. In other words, the communion that we share, that we enjoy as believers, is not rooted in our ethnic background. It's not rooted in the fact that we all like each other, because we don't. It's not rooted in the fact that we can get along all the time, because we don't but only in the communion we have with Jesus Christ. The Catechism puts it this way, the Holy Supper means to be united more and more to Christ's sacred body through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. Have you ever thought of that expression? more and more united to the sacred body of Christ, so that we are flesh of Christ's flesh and bone of Christ's bones? What does that mean? Do you recognize the expression? The last time you may have heard it may have been at a wedding, when you heard a marriage form. Flesh of my flesh and bone of his bones. 
It comes from Genesis 2. Here we are told how Eve was created. Remember the story? And then when Adam is waking up, he's totally excited. He's totally happy. He sees his beautiful wife and he sings, Wow, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, says Adam when he sees Eve. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That implies a most personal and intimate relationship. Well, then, so personal, so intimate as it was between Adam and Eve, is it between Jesus Christ and you. Now, from of old, this was called the mystical union. That's the hidden communion of life between Christ and the believer. Now, we've got to be a bit careful how we use that expression, right? The word mystical or mysticism often refers to the emotional experience of a sort of kind of an ecstatic merging of your soul with Jesus. Well, it's not a biblical picture. It's not a biblical idea to merge your soul with Jesus. It's not the point. But we shouldn't throw out the expression mystical union either. It's too precious. So it's good to know what we mean when we talk about that, mystical union. How does the Bible speak about our communion with Jesus Christ? Now, and in, in, in this connection, Ephesians 5 can help us here. In Ephesians 5 is a well-known passage where the Apostle Paul says wonderful things about the unity of husband and wife. He quotes from Genesis 2 that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh and then, then Paul adds in Ephesians 5, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So here the Apostle Paul speaks about the relationship between Christ and the church as a mysterious or mystical union. Elsewhere in the Bible we also find the image, and that's connected here of course, the image of the church as the bride of Christ. And, and now you see things coming together. As the bride of Christ, we can use in the church the words that Adam used in Genesis 2 to describe his love for Eve. We are so close to Jesus. We are so close to his love for us. And that love is so strong and so deep that we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. And, and, and therefore, you and I, as believers... We can personally experience this union as members of the Church of Jesus, especially when we share the bread and the cup and the Holy Supper. Here the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit unites us with Jesus Christ and with each other. That's what happens when we celebrate the Holy Supper together and share the bread and the wine. And that makes it a powerful instrument, brothers and sisters. It makes it a power tool, a real power tool of the Holy Spirit. Every time we use it, the Spirit unites us more and more to Christ's sacred body. The sacred body is the communion of His church, the communion of faith, hope, and love. And we share the bread and the cup. The Holy Spirit brings about, reinforces in a unique and mysterious way, union in God's church, union with Jesus Christ. The communion with Christ and the communion with each other. And the word mysterious and mystical 
make clear that we cannot see or fathom all the aspects of this union. When Jesus rules your life and the Holy Spirit renews you, you have peace with God and you rejoice in God's gracious forgiveness. When you meditate on these things, does it not fill your heart with joy? Does it not fill your heart with the joy that Adam felt when he saw Eve? But you know, we can never grasp how wide and long and deep the love of Christ really is. A lot of that escapes our observation. As Paul puts it in Colossians 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. But there is more when the Holy Spirit unites us in faith. It also unites us in the obedience of faith. Through the power tool of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit unites us in such a way that more and more we also should be visible in this world as people like that. A true communion, a true fellowship of faith, hope, and love. Ask yourself, are we as communion of faith visible in this world as a communion of faith, hope, and love? Are we? Let the Holy Supper encourage you to stand up for Jesus in the world. To profess his name without fear. To follow him as your master wherever he calls you to go. And to resist the evil powers. Let the bread and the wine fill you with joy and gratitude. For the union of life that you have with Jesus and with each other. Every day in the life of a Christian. Every day is a new beginning. Because of the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior. Amen.